Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Seabreeze. We're glad you've joined us today. We are in a message series entitled Authentic Christian. What we're doing is we're looking at the practical implications of what it means to be a Christian. There's a great deal of confusion right now in our culture about what it actually means. And uh, we're using Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17 as our guide. And these 17 verses start with the two words, if, then. And the idea is that if you are a Christian, then this is what's true of you. And the following verses are divided into three major sections. They identify the three decisions that Christians make, and the three practices that Christians routinely work on, and the three power sources that are available to Christians. Three sets of three for a total of nine identifiers. Let me just quickly review where we've come so far on this. The three decisions are identified in the first four verses of Colossians 3, and they're identified by three W words that all precede the name of Christ. Decision number one is this, you decide to be with Christ. With is the first W word. You attach your life to His, and you do this by asking Him to be your Savior and your Lord. Not just a Savior and a Lord, but your Savior, the only one who can forgive you of sin. And your Lord, the only one who can guide you as you make the decisions of life. And then decision number two is you decide to value what's valuable in heaven, more than what's valuable here on earth, because heaven is where Christ is. That's the second W, where Christ is. And then decision number three is you decide to wait for the day when Christ shows up to make everything right. The third W is when. The third W word is when Christ shows up. Now, like anybody, you would prefer things to work out perfectly in your life, but when they don't, you understand that you're living somewhere in the middle of God's great story, not at the end, and that you're not the star of the story. You get a chance to play an important role, but you're not at the center. Christ is, and when he returns, then everything will be made right. But until then, you have an answer for why maybe things aren't working out right now. Now, those three decisions have practical implications. So the authentic Christian then begins to rearrange their daily life by working on three practices. And the key word in the next set of verses in Colossians 3 is the word put. You, you put the things in your life in a, in a different place. First of all, the old practices of making an idol out of something here are put to death, not just once, but repeatedly, because we keep elevating something here to a level of importance that it doesn't deserve. And then secondly, the old practices of using anger and deception to manipulate people to get what we want out of them are put away or put off. And then thirdly, the activities of love are put on. Repeatedly, we work on these practices. Now, even if you've made these three decisions and you are working on these three practices, you will discover that it's still pretty easy to get off track, easy to get stuck. And the reason is that we all have a past that is pretty powerful. It has some deep ruts to it. And just because we've made some decision to be different doesn't mean that we are always successful in being different. And we also have taken on an invisible enemy that we are honestly very unmatched for. Now, thankfully, Christ is more powerful than our past and more powerful than Satan, our enemy. But in order for Christ's power to be of any real help to us, we need to let his power access our daily life. Now, how do we do this? Well, the key word in the last section of verses is the word let. The three let phrases are like a three-pronged plug. 
that allows us to access the three forms of Christ's power in our daily life. And if you were to read them in the original language, we'll show the English translation up here, but the New Testament was written in Greek, and the the phrases would go pretty much like this, let rule Christ's peace. That's the first let, let rule Christ's peace. Then the second let is let dwell Christ's word richly in you. And then the last one, the one we're going to look at today is let live Christ's name. So let's look at the the last verse that we're going to be addressing in this series, uh, Colossians 3, verses 17. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Christ. Let live the name of Christ in you, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Live the name of Christ. What does that mean? One of the first and biggest challenges, I think, uh, of any parent is the job of naming their child. Parents exert a great deal of mental energy on deciding on the perfect name for their child. They consult baby books. They go online now and frequent websites that go into really obsessive detail about every single possible name that's out there. They probably make pro and con lists, and they just debate the merits of their top choices. Now, why has so much effort gone into the naming of a child? Well, the name is important because it'll be carried by that child for the rest of their life. It's how people will come to know them and identify who they are. And so every parent wants to pick a name that will represent the character of their child, at least their hopes and their dreams for what their character might be, a name that they love and will always love. So what is in a name? What's the big deal about a name? Well, every name contains three important items. Every name represents a history. Every name carries an authority. And every name develops a way or a pattern of behavior. So why is the name of Jesus such a big deal? Well, let's look at each of these three items. First of all, the history. The question as it relates to Jesus is, well, what has Jesus done? What, what is attached to the name of Christ? You know, for my wife and I, when it came down to the naming of our first child, we really had a struggle. We didn't know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl because this was in the days where you had to pay a lot of money to get sonograms. And so we landed pretty quickly on a boy's name. But on a girl's name, we, had, we really weren't very clear on that. We had kind of narrowed it down to, I think, about three names or so, and we really kind of went round and round on those three names and couldn't really land on one. Well, it turns out our first child was a girl, and so very quickly we had to pick one of those three, and we decided on the name Andrea. Now, because we had debated and we hadn't been really clear for a while, for the first several weeks, I could not remember the name of my child. <laughs> and this, this was embarrassing. I, I'd go to pick her up, and it's like, what, what's the name again? So rather than ask my wife, what's, what's our daughter's name? I would run out to the living room, and thankfully some friends of ours had put a big banner, had given us a big banner that said, Welcome home, Andrea. And I would run out to the living room, oh yeah, yeah, Andrea. And I'd run back and hold Andrea. So that went on for about two weeks. But honestly, after two weeks, I have never once since then struggled to remember my daughter's name. It took two weeks, but it, it was locked in. And the reason I don't ever forget her name now is because the name Andrea, for me, has been filled now with 29 years of history. And this is what happens to names. They are given, and then they are lived in. History is added to the name. 
And if the history that is added to the name is good, well, then that name is honored. If not, that name is not honored. It's dishonored. You know, the name Adolf was once a popular baby, baby name back in the 19th and 20th, 20th century, early 20th century, especially among German-speaking countries. And then, of course, Hitler came along and ruined that name forever. But with Jesus, it was the opposite. His name is called in Scripture the name that is above every name. Why? Because of the history. What is the history of Jesus that has given his name such tremendous power, power beyond any name? While his first name was not chosen by the decision of any human parent, like my wife and I did with our daughter, and like you've done with your children, the name Jesus was chosen by heaven. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and told him to name the child Jesus. Here's what we read in Matthew 1.21. She will give birth to a son, speaking of Mary, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do. Now, the name Christ was given by those who recognized who Jesus was. Like when Peter said this, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? People are talking and wondering, who am I? They're seeing these miracles and they're debating the, who I really am, but what do you guys think? And Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one or king. And this points to the nature of Christ, who Christ is. He is the son of the living God. Now, to make it very clear who Jesus was, rather than just relying on someone like Peter, something very amazing occurred after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. This is what we read in Matthew 3, 17. At, after that point, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, this wasn't something that occurred all by himself. There were crowds around, and everyone heard this voice, and it became a record of history. But the question is, what does the Son of God mean? In the pages of the Bible, God reveals his name to us. And like our names, it, it's not just one name. My name is Bevan James Unruh. James is my middle name. You may not know that. It's the only normal name I have. The other two names I get to spell and repeat again. But my full name is Bevan James Unruh. Three names describing one person. But unlike our names, God's names point to more than one person. Now, the introduction in the pages of Scripture of God goes something like this. God reveals himself and says, I am Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if it was a verbal introduction, we might say, well, which one of you is God? And the answer would be, we all are. So there are three gods then. No, just one God. So it's just one long name then describing one God? No, each of us, each name describes a distinct person. But I thought you said you were just one. We are one. Well, how can you say we if there's only one of you? That's the wrong pronoun, to which I'm sure God would say, I am God, 
and you have never met anyone like me. I am three in one. We've come up with a word to try to wrap our mind around something that we've never experienced before. No other entity we know anything like this. And the word is trinity, which means tri-unity, three in one. Now, if you think about it, it, it is understandable that God is unlike any being we've ever known. I mean, we really would expect that we can't fully understand God, one who is greater than us. I mean, if you demand to fully understand God, then you're looking for a God that is invented by human minds, made in the image of humankind, rather than the God who made you in his image. This is how he reveals himself. So the question then is, how do the three persons work together to be one God? This is important if we're going to understand the history of the name of Jesus Christ. What, what, what stands behind him being the Son of God? We, we have to know what it means to be the Son of God, and therefore what it means to be Father, and what it also means to be Holy Spirit. How do these three work together to be one God? Well, let me summarize it briefly for you. God the Father is revealed in the page of the Bible as the planner. He is the planner. It is his will that sets everything in motion and will wrap up history to his conclusion. This is why you will often hear people starting their prayers, most often with the word what? Father. We begin the prayers with Father. And the reason is because he initiates stuff. If you're in need of mercy, he's the one who will decide to give it. So you say, Father, forgive me, have mercy on me. If you're in need of help, the Father is the one who will decide to send it. And so if you're in need of help, you say, Father, please help me with this. Now, the Father does the planning, but the implementation falls to the Son. I don't have time to go into all the detail on this, but this is what Scripture reveals. When the Father decided to create, it was His initiation, His plan, but it was the hand of the Son that physically made it happen. And when the first humans became deceived by Satan and rebelled, the Father decided to save us. But it was the Son who carried out the Father's plan to rescue us from our sin and the death that the lies of the enemy brought us. And the Holy Spirit's role is to take the plans of the Father that prompted the actions of the Son and apply it to individual people, to apply it to you and to me. If you have any understanding and if your heart is drawn towards the truth of Scripture, it's because the Holy Spirit's helping you. The Holy Spirit I refer to as God up close and personal, the one who applies the truth to our own lives. A good way to think of this, an analogy would be, let's say we were drowning in the middle of a lake. We're out in the middle of a deep lake. It's, we can't touch ground. There's nothing around us that we can hold on to. The shoreline is, in all directions, way too far for us to swim to. And our strength is being drained. And it's just a matter of time before we sink underwater and drown and we're gone. This is really a, a picture, an image of what is true of us when it comes to sin. We, we are in the middle of the lake of our own sin. We can't touch ground. We can flail around and swim and do all kinds of moral activities that are great and fine, but time is running out. We may have years, we may have decades, but eventually 
our life will be drained and we will be drowned in the sea of our sin. And the shoreline where God is, is is way too far for us to swim to. No, no moral effort that we could ever mount would, would arrive at the shoreline. And so we cry out for help. And the Father decided to mount a rescue. It was his plan, his initiative. But Jesus is the one who constructed the boat and rowed all the distance from where the Father was to where we are. He, wrote, he rode the boat in our direction. And it is the Holy Spirit, it is his hand that pulls us out of the sin and into the boat. So who saved us? Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? All three. All three were involved. This is why Jesus told us that we should be baptized when we decide to follow Christ. We should be baptized in the name of all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what it says in Matthew 28, 19. It's because our salvation was not accomplished just by the Father or just by the Son or just by the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the one God played an essential role in rescuing us from our plight. That's the history of the name of Jesus. Well, what about the authority? What can Jesus do? To do something in the name of another, which is what this verse says, do everything in the name of Christ, to do something in the name of other means, in part, to do it in their authority. You know, every name has a realm of authority. You know, if, if you're president, you've got a large realm of authority. If you lead in whatever business or organization you're in, you, you have, your name represents authority in that area. And the same thing is true with the name of Christ. So to live the name of Christ means to live under his authority. Recently, I asked Joe, our executive pastor, to call someone for me. Now, he was the one doing the talking, but he was doing it for me in my name. So I said, now be sure, Joe, that you told them that I'm the one that asked you to call. I'm the one that asked you to ask them this. Now, why did I say that? Well, I wanted them to know that this came from me, not from Joe. And that Joe was doing this on my behalf. And the reason is this person didn't know Joe as well as they did me. And this was something that was being done for Seabreeze. And because I'm the senior pastor, my name has more authority as it relates to this church than Joe's name. And so it carried more influence. And so I said, be sure that they know I'm the one that asked you to call. You're not just calling on your own. You're calling for me in my name, representing my authority. Now, it's not an amazing authority, but as it relates to Seabreeze, it carries just a little more weight than Joe's name did. Now, when it comes to Jesus' name, there is no name above Jesus' name. There is no authority higher than the name of Jesus. And so, for example, we read this in Acts 3, verses 1 through 8. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, 
But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and his ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. There is no other name that represents that kind of authority. Why, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk? Well, Peter didn't have the authority to fix this. He didn't even have any money on him to help this man. But Jesus has that kind of authority. Several Sundays ago, before the first service, I was kind of doing my final preparation here on site, and I just, for some reason, became kind of dizzy. I stood up, and it's like, whoa, the room started moving. So I sat down and drank some water and tried to, you know, get, get my eyes straight and get the room to stop spinning, but it kept spinning. And so my wife was there, and I said, could you go get someone from the prayer team to come in here and pray for me? So she went and got one of the men on the prayer team, and he came into the back room there and just put his hand on my shoulder. And he prayed to the Father and asked for help. And then he ended his prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, why should we pray in the name of Jesus Christ? Because our our need for help is practical. As it relates to this man in the story in the book of Acts, he really needed to, to walk. And for me, 2,000 years later, I really needed the room to stop spinning so I could stand up and talk without falling down. And because Jesus is the one who made everything and is holding everything together right now, he has the power. I mean, this, this is why he was able to do what he did when he walked the earth. He knew how to change, for example, the molecular composition of water into wine. Nobody else ever done that. He knew how to turn a dead human body into a living one. He, he could actually look at a tomb that was sealed with his friend Lazarus in it and say, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Now, we can yell at a graveside all we want. Nothing's going to happen. We don't have that authority. We don't have that power. Nobody else can do that. So if the, the father intends to heal a man who is crippled, it will be Jesus who will actually do it. If the father intends to stop my head from spinning, he will send Jesus to stop it. Now, on that Sunday, a few Sundays ago, after about 20 minutes, the dizziness did subside. It stopped. Now, I, honestly, I don't know if Jesus did that or if it just kind of went away. I don't know. But I do know that by praying in the name of Jesus, I took the matter straight to the top. Now, the man who my wife found to pray for me, who was on the prayer team, turns out to be a doctor. And he spends his days in surgery, he's a surgeon, saving and healing people. And in our culture, when it comes to medical problems, you can't go any higher than a doctor, a specialist. And I'm so grateful for them. But even this man knew that there's the name much more powerful than his. He knew the name. He knew the one who had the power. So when you pray in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, you're going straight to the top. And you're also not only asking for his power, you are appealing to the Father's heart. 
You see, the name of Jesus is the signature at the bottom of our spiritual adoption papers. Jesus is the one who made it possible for us to become a part of God's family. Now, this was the intention of the Father from the very beginning, that there would be this close relationship between those made in his image, us, humankind, and himself. But then rebellion entered into this world, and sin made us alien to God rather than family. It severed that relationship. And the father couldn't just say, oh, never mind about sin. I still want them to be family. Because sin is not just a moral oops. Sin is it's an injustice. It's a wrong that must be righted. Certain realities needed to be addressed in order for us to ever have a chance of becoming real members of God's family, sons and daughters of the living God. The top consideration of which was just payment for our sinfulness is demanded. So Jesus is the one who came to earth to pay the price of our sin and to open up a channel for our adoption, a way to forgive us. And those who put their trust in Jesus are adopted children of the Father. What that means is they are close to his heart. The relationship has been restored. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, what we're doing is we're we're pulling out our adoption papers. Now, God may still decide to do something different because, again, the story that he is writing is bigger than just us. Just like as parents, we don't do everything our children want because there's something bigger going on than just them. But you know, when your child asks of you, isn't your heart drawn? And if you can, and if it fits into the larger purpose and plan, don't you act? And so when we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, not only are we appealing to the one who has the power to do anything that needs to be done here on earth, we are appealing in the name of the one who has repaired our relationship with the Father and made us sons and daughters, family. You know, the last time I saw my grandmother, she was 92. She'd been blind at that point for about eight years. She was still very much mentally with it. And we were chatting, and at one point she said, Bevan, I never thought I'd live this long. I, I can't for the life of me figure out why God still has me here. I sit in this room, I'm blind, I'm of no use to anybody. And she didn't say it angrily, but kind of in a funny way. It's like, I, I have no purpose. I can't do anything. I have to be led around. I have to be fed. I, why am I still here? I'm just ready to go to heaven. Let's get this over with and move on to the next stage, much better stage. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, she's got a point. But then I remembered, you know, the evidences of all of her prayers for our family over the years. And so I said, Grandma, do you still pray for us? She goes, oh, every day. Pray for all of you every day. So I said, well, Grandma, that, <laughs> that's a lot of help. You know, we all, we've talked about it. We, we all sense the assistance and the help that we get because you're praying for us. And even though you're blind, you can still pray. She said, well, yeah, I can do that. And after she did pass, well, we, we felt that loss. See, for us, prayer tends to be the, the last thing we try after everything else has failed. We've gone to the doctors, we've addressed every problem we can address, and it's still not working. It's like, well, <laughs> I guess we should pray. 
rather than just, well, let's just start out at the top and then work your way down. Just pray. Ask the Father for help regularly in the name, the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Because prayer, I think, will turn out, as we look back, we will see it as some of our biggest impacts. Nobody watches it, but the Father hears and the Son responds. That brings us to the third element that's in every name, and that is the way or the pattern of behavior. And the question here is, what would Jesus do? Because to do something in the name of another not only means that you represent their authority, it also means that you are doing and saying what they would have done and what they would have said if they were there. So to live Jesus' name means to live as his representative here in front of the people that you see. When you decide to be with Christ, one of the, that very first decision, what that means is now what you do and what you say falls under his name. Now, we tend to get arrogant and tend to think of our life as our own, to do with as we please. We tend to think that this is our career. We think it's ours. We tend to think it's our money to do with as we want. But everything... Everything now falls under his name. And so we will either bring honor or dishonor to his name by what we say and what we do. We're not just private individuals doing whatever we want to do. We, we are representing the name of Christ. This is why it's important early on in a relationship just to run the flag up and let people know that you're a follower of Christ. You, know, you have to do it in an obnoxious way. But let them know that You've, you're a follower of his. Now, we may think that what we do can be kept hidden from view, but if we dishonor him, he will not cover it up. He will begin the process of bringing discredit to us because Jesus is zealous for his name. So we begin every single day, not as a private citizen of this country. We do, but much more. We begin every day understanding that we are taking on his name today with the perspective that what we do and what we say is for Christ, not just for us. That's why it says, whatever you do, that, that pretty much includes everything. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the word Christian means to take the name of Christ. That's what it means. So Christians, those who have taken his name, they have taken on a role. What that means is when we speak, we're, we're on stage. Now, we're, we're not just acting in a play for people to watch and enjoy and be entertained by. Our acting, our words, and our deeds are critical. Because before their very eyes, we are bringing to life the person, Jesus Christ, who is the, the watershed decision for every single individual. We can't bring them to Jesus physically and show him and to them physically. We are now the representatives. Now, the problem, though, is that we tend to have only a vague idea about what Jesus might actually do and what Jesus might actually say, say in our situation. And that's because Jesus never lived in Huntington Beach. He never worked where you work. Now, if I ever come across a demon-possessed man in the countryside, and I notice a herd of pigs nearby, I might recall the story of what happened when that happened to Jesus. 
I might pause and say, wait, just a minute. This is strange. Oh, I remember. I remember what Jesus did in that situation. But that's never happened to me. It only happened to Jesus once. It'll probably never happen to anybody else again. You see, I'm married. Jesus never was. I get cut off in traffic. There was no traffic. There was no four or five when Jesus walked the earth. I talked to irritating tech support people. Jesus didn't do that. So what does it mean to live the name of Christ then? You see, Jesus isn't after a kind of reenactment of his life, you know, where we mimic him word for word and deed for deed. He lived at a different time in a different place. But what Jesus did is he constructed a way, a way of life, a way for us to live and a way for us to speak in any place and at any time. So that's why after we are baptized, which is the moment we go public with the decision to follow Christ, we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as Christians. After we have taken on his name, This is what it says next in Matthew 28, verse 20. It says, and, not just stop with the baptism, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, we then, having made the decision, we then go about the lifelong business of not just learning what Jesus taught, but figuring out how to obey it, how to do it. You see, being baptized is just an event. It's a great event but it's just an event. It's kind of like getting married. Getting married is is just an event. It's an amazing event, but it's just an event. It's the doorway. It's the threshold into a different life. Being a Christian is different than deciding to be a Christian. Being married is different than deciding to get married. You have to decide to get married in order to live a married life. You have to decide to be a Christian, get baptized in order to live a Christian life. But the learning how to live, well, that's that's a lifelong effort. And I have yet to meet a Christian who has arrived at the obeying everything stage. Nobody has nailed it. No one says, yeah, you know, I figured it all out and I'm pretty much daily doing everything that Jesus taught. No one does that. So the question is not so much, where are you on the scale of nothing? I'm doing nothing that Christ taught. I'm not obeying anything that Christ taught. To the, I'm doing everything that Christ taught. Where where are you on that scale? The question is not so much, though, where are you, but are you moving from nothing toward everything? I mean, you may be closer to the nothing side, You're just getting started. You're just getting moving. That's okay. Or you may be a little over closer to here. Wherever you are, that's fine. The question is, is the movement going this way or is it going this way? Those who follow Christ, you know, we may get off track, but we just keep, we keep picking ourselves up and we keep moving this way. We keep learning more. So one of the key ways to be honest about this is say, what's a recent thing that you've learned about obeying Christ in? What area? What, what's something new? Just, just the last three months, let's say. Is there anything? If you're like, 
nope, can't think of anything. But what that means is you're just kind of hanging out wherever you are. You need to be moving in that direction. Now, the everything applies to every single situation we face in life. But it's learned not by memorizing detailed scenarios, but by learning the principles of Christ that applies to every situation. Christ taught its principles. Not here's the exact words you say in this exact situation, because the number of situations we face are almost infinite. So Jesus gave us principles. For example, Jesus taught a lot, and Scripture teaches a great deal about how to deal with relational conflict. That's something that was prevalent when Jesus walked the earth. It's something that's prevalent now. It's something that will always be prevalent. And the specifics of your particular relational conflict right now are probably somewhat unique. But the principles that Jesus taught apply. And if you don't know what to do next or say next, it's probably because you don't know enough principles. You know, if you only know two principles, but you're facing a 20-principle problem, you're stuck. You need to learn more. Two principles are not enough for the complexity of life. So start where you're struggling. Wherever you are, start where you're struggling and learn what's a principle that I can apply that Jesus taught. If you don't know one, ask for help. Ask someone who knows a little more than you. Do you know of any principles in this area of life that are in the page of the Bible? Ask for help. Learn it and then obey it. So what's in a name, or more specifically, what's in Jesus' name? Well, there's a history of what Jesus has done. And because of that history, he has saved you if you've decided to be with him. Only his name can do this. And there's an authority. What can Jesus do? Well, he can help you. Because he's at the top. So pray often in his name. Ask for help. Don't struggle and struggle and struggle. And finally, when you're just wiped out, say, oh, Jesus, could you please help me? Start there and go there again and again. And then Jesus has a way, a pattern of behavior. The question we need to ask ourselves as we get up every day is, what would Jesus do with this day? What would Jesus do with this person? What would Jesus do with this challenge? As Christians, we represent Christ. So I want us to read this verse together. We're going to put it up on the screen, Colossians 3.17. So join me as we read this together. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want to, before I close in prayer, I want to invite um, Ethan and Andrea Johnstone on stage because Ethan is our newest member on staff here at, at Seabreeze, and so I wanted to introduce them to you. Uh, Ethan will be serving as our outreach pastor. We went through an extensive search, and uh, Ethan is the one that um, is uh, the individual that we decided on, and he'll be leading our efforts to reach more people in this community and together with our partners in different parts of this community and, and in the world. Now, in preparation for this position, Ethan earned his uh, master's degree in theology several years ago, and then together, both Ethan and Andrea 
have been in a very intensive ministry training program for the past four years. Uh, while Ethan has been working full-time and Andrea has been raising the girls, they've been married for almost four years now. They have two daughters with a boy on the way in a couple of weeks. Uh, you may know these two daughters. You've seen them grow up a little bit on the screen. They are my granddaughters because Andrea is my daughter. So we're, we're having grandson number or grandchild number three here in a couple of weeks. And so we're grateful to have Ethan and Andrea with us and Ethan on staff. And so I wanted to introduce them to you and I wanted to pray for them. So join me as we pray. Father, we come to you in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. The name that one day every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess. And they will see that he really is the name that is above every name. Right now, we get a chance to look at the evidence and decide for ourselves. When it's obvious, it'll be too late to name the name and ask him to be Savior and Lord. And so, Jesus, we bow before you now in the middle of a world that largely ignores you and often mocks you. We honor you. We recognize that you are the name above every name. Help us as we live your name. Give us insight into where you'd want us to work next and how you'd want us to grow, to learn, to obey everything you taught. And Father, we thank you for uh, bringing uh, Ethan and Andrea here to be a part of us, to be on staff. And God, I just pray that you would bless the work of Ethan's hand and the work of Andrea's hand together with him as they lead us in the planning and the implementation of efforts to reach even more people in this community. God, I pray that you'd give Ethan insight and courage and understanding as he provides leadership in this area. God, we pray for their protection. We pray that many would come to know Christ through Ethan's work and their work together. We pray for your hand of blessing on them. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> 